Welcome back to Netflix and Kill, the podcast dedicated to reviewing and documenting the horror films of Netflix. I'm Kai. I'm Marty. I'm Aaron. My words are backed with nuclear weapons. I'm a vampire! (laughs) Anyway, yeah, I'm Hannah. Hi. Hi, Hannah. So, we are on our last week of our celebration of Nicolas Cage and his very wide range of horror films that he's done. Like, at least four. Yeah, but like as far as like the performances and the subgenre and the tones, very tonally different, which mm-hmm, is kind of great. Mm-hmm. Um, so this week we are covering the cult classic Vampire's Kiss. The uh, so I think people are familiar with the imagery from this film, even if you don't really realize it. So this <laughs> is where a lot of the memes come from. Um, the, the little, quite like, literally, the you don't say rage comic meme is from this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah if, any, if any of you have seen the, uh, at one point, extremely popular by YouTube standards viral video, Nicolas Cage losing his shit, I think the clips that aren't from Wicker Man or Deadfall mostly come from this. Yeah. 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 And rightfully so. I would say this is the best of the Nick Cage rage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Despite all his rage, he is still just a Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Yeah. I'm such a fucking boomer. (laughs) (laughs) Despite all my rage, I'm still just a frog in a ball. Fair. But he's a vampire. Fair and valid. He's a vampire. He's a vampire. He's a vampire. This movie was not what I... I mean, it was what I expected because, like, there was a lot of Nicolas Cage being funny. But it wasn't like The Wicker Man where it was, like, few and far between. And it was mostly just a misguided film. But this was, like, consistent Nicolas Cage just baffling me with every choice he was making. And yet it worked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Literally every time he spoke, it was something <laughs> yeah i think yeah hannah and i hannah and i were both new to this movie seeing it all the way through i think kyla and marty you had both seen it before right yeah and yeah. i think like so actually marty and i watched this together about a month ago because that's what gave us the idea to do this um nick cage mm-hmm. month and uh i just super wanted to talk about this movie <laughs> right and i think hannah and i had like an ongoing like obviously familiarity with the movie through the uh through the meme clout of Nick Cage being in it, we both sort of came to the realization at about the halfway point, I think, that this movie is honestly really good. (laughs) I don't even know if, like, I I didn't even want to qualify that. It is, I mean, we we can dissect that as we go on, but, like, I did not realize that this movie was actually really awesome. It has, like, ideas and themes and kind of something to say about corporate America. And, like, I thought not that. I didn't think that was going to happen. Yeah, right. Um, Especially after, like, watching Wicker Man, which is so on the nose and obvious with its, you know, intended themes, which just boils down to women bad. Yeah. Which is so strange, because 
this movie, it's mostly Nicolas Cage interacting with women, a lot of women of color, and it kind of leaves him as the villain, but it's so weird because, and I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but I looked it up a little bit and the the screenwriter wrote this after like a horribly toxic relationship with his girlfriend. Hmm. And like she yeah, got it- so pissed at it. Because she was like, I am not a, a life-sucking vampire. But honestly, the Nick Cage character comes out looking worse for wear than anybody. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think yeah. it's... I, I wouldn't be surprised if the screenwriter both intended that and to, you know, do what most good writers do, which is to knock yourself a little bit. I mean, like, it's pretty clear that she's not actually there for yeah. most of it. That he's hallucinating everything about her. Which, I mean, I see that more as an act of self-effacement on the part of the writer, but, you know, relationships are thorny as fuck, so I can understand if she felt that that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, the whole backstory, I guess, like, I, you know, we're only seeing one side of that, so I don't really know um, who would have been. And, of course, like, in breakups, they're really isn't always a person who's in the right or in the wrong. Um, sometimes humans can just be toxic to each other. Well, I'm sure things got sometimes lost in trans... toxicity, it's a lack of communication. I think things yeah. also got lost in translation a little bit, or maybe f- discovered in translation, because he didn't make it past the screenwriting stage. Like, he was going to direct it, but then he was, like, too emotionally attached to the project, so he had to distance himself, and then it was passed on to mm. new people, and Nicolas Cage was given the role, who kind of treated it more as a surrealist experiment for his acting which thank god because i think without that we would have gotten i don't know something that i don't think would have worked yeah yeah i think it's i i don't it's been a while since i've looked anything about this movie up but he he i think explicitly mentioned that he was trying to sort of do like a talky version do like a talking version of a silent movie pantomime with a lot of this and this is before, like, or right at the time that, like, Guy Madden up in Canada was making talky silence, um, like, just at the very beginning of his career. So, like, he definitely comes up with that on his own. And I, th- like, I can't necessarily vouch for the accent work, which really couldn't tell what he was doing there. And I think that's where a lot of people make fun of this movie. His sort of attempts at sounding like an old money New Englander with a transatlantic accent that... Well, from what Seems I read online, it date. was a pseudo-Transylvanian transatlantic accent. Because he's a hmm. vampire. <laughs> it was... It, it, I can definitely say it was something that I had never heard before. Right, ab- absolutely. I mean, that's... I guess that's... I think I, sp- I said during the watching of this movie that it didn't really ever feel like it was made in bad faith. Like, you know, it fell apart because no one... Because people didn't have ideas. I mean, clearly a movie like this doesn't result from people just trying to get something done so they can get paid, you know? Like, there are plenty of easier ways to collect a paycheck in Hollywood. And I think this is even before Nick Cage got got really, really bad into gambling, which is obviously where a lot of, you know, famously where a lot of his other acting decisions come from. Uh, well, and there, the effort so, on I mean, display like... from Nicolas Cage is beyond 
anything I've ever seen in an actor before, just giving something so unique to the role that I... Like you said, Aaron, is so based in physicality, but there's also this, like, there's subtext upon text upon subtext, but I don't know if it means anything in the end. And at the same time, I'm like, it doesn't have to. It's, it, I genuinely do believe Nicolas Cage is a brilliant actor, and I think that's why he has remained relevant in the cultural zeitgeist and why, like, no one has seen this movie, but everyone has felt the impact of this movie through pop culture. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And- yeah, that was my statement. I said and like I was going to continue, but I'm done. Right. It's no, there's something that. like there's something uniquely satisfying about watching. I mean, you 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 hit the nail on the head when we were watching it that like he doesn't feel like he's ever trying to present himself to anybody, and it's just really satisfying and even decades later refreshing to see a guy who's well-known, famous Hollywood actor has done Oscar-worthy work more than once and categorically does not walk around like he's trying to kiss anybody's ass and not because he's too big to fail because he's not the dude was in drive angry 3d but (laughs) but because like i think at some point or another he realized he realized that his only obligation his only ambition that he should have was to his own work and that anything else would get in the way and if and so every single performance even the ones that yeah are are there because he needs the money he uses it to try something out and like a lot of people who never stop experimenting oftentimes it is confusing and uncomfortable and ineffective but i don't really think he is physically capable of another kind of acting and we, mm-hmm. we always talk yeah. about in um, my acting classes how to sell yourself, what kind of headshots are the right thing to do, what kind of delivery do you need to give to be like hired onto a certain kind of project, a certain kind of movie, what do you need to do to be bought? And there's this idea of marketing actors as like products, like, you know, we watch something because this person's in it, but we don't always mm-hmm. watch a movie because of what the person does. And I think with Nicolas Cage, that's Mm -hmm. the difference. He does things that surprises and challenges you in ways that you may not expect. And not because he wants you to buy him. He just wants to play. And I don't mean that as in he's not taking it seriously. I mean he wants to fuck around with the craft of acting and see what Mm -hmm. does and doesn't count within its sphere. But in the end, he doesn't need an answer. He just wants to play with those boundaries. And there's something so goddamn fucking sexy about that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's, including that last part, very beautifully said. And I think, I think like the thing, you know, I mean, this is not new information, but Nick Cage very famously gave up a very powerful film industry surname to name himself after a Bronze Age comic book character. (laughs) Yeah. Like, a Bronze Age comic book character who, let's be honest, he looks nothing like. (laughs) Well, yeah. Luke Cage is very much a black man. (laughs) Yeah, of course. I mean, I was being... I mean, it was... But yeah. Um, Like, and he, you know... Like, if I were born a Coppola, I don't know if I would give up that surname. 
but yeah. he had the guts to but he had the guts to do that and a career that starts with him doing that inevitably ends up you know as um inevitably the the, the decisions you make after that are all going to spring from that from that source and god he absolutely has lived his life in accordance with that like the universal maxim of i don't give an actual fuck what anyone thinks about the decisions i make and i mean last week y'all watched him run around in a bear suit and punch <laughs> women in the face like or well, was that last well, week la- last week we actually watched him run around inside of a, a knockoff chuck e cheese and punch a bunch of animatronics in the face lots of punching yeah yeah lots of punching Lots yeah, he's punching. a very punchy actor, which again, named after Luke Cage. It makes sense. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. I guess he should. We should probably go through the yeah. plot, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I don't <laughs> want to spend too much time on it, though, because I do just want to talk about, like, the meat of this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Air quotes but... should we have around the word plot for real? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, in short, Nicolas Cage plays a literary agent who works at this big firm in new york he's um obviously pretty well off or at least like that's the appearance that he wants to take like a yuppie um yeah that's kind of what yeah that's kind of where he falls um and on the weekends he goes clubbing and sleeps with random strangers and does a lot of drugs and drinks a lot of alcohol um I do want to give a quick mention. One of the people he has a one night stand with is Cassie Lemons, who I was very surprised mm-hmm. to see show up in this movie, but that's always mm-hmm. a good surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, one of the women that he sleeps with bites him on the neck and he is convinced that she is a vampire and that she has turned him into a vampire. Um, there are many therapy sessions, by the way, loved his therapist like yeah obviously we're gonna spend awesome. a lot of time talking about nick cage's performance mm-hmm. but i don't want to undersell the other performances in this movie so either because it does take a special kind of skill to be able to act with him especially since they're all um, so convincingly like terrified of this very ridiculous man like the actress who plays alva his assistant at the literary agency who he torments throughout the movie she's so fucking brutal in how pain the pain the way she shows pain is so brutal and honest and it just hurts to watch her mm-hmm. you almost forget that Nicolas yeah. Cage is just saying some very weird things yeah yeah um, I mean yeah, they're, so they're weird but like very obviously like if someone in real life came up to me and started saying shit like that I would probably act the same way that's true. yeah um yeah, so at work he terrorizes his assistant because she can't find this certain document that he wants to get to find for a client. Um, and he's absolutely awful to her and it's really difficult to watch. But again, like it does hammer home certain things about his character, like namely that he's an asshole. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so that's a lot of the movie. And um Towards, you know, he gets more and more unhinged as it goes along. There are many rants. The alphabet is said. And then towards the end of the movie, he starts to get kind of suicidal. Um, We should slap a trigger warning on here. We will be discussing suicidal thoughts and sexual assault. Mm -hmm. 
because mm-hmm. he does also sexually assault his secretary. Mm-hmm. Um, and she goes to her brother, and her brother ends up going after Nicolas Cage and killing him. Yeah. Yep. Which, like, honestly, good for him. Yeah. And, like. <laughs> good yeah. For her. I mean, I would. Do, I would do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, like, I think that a lot of this movie lives more in, like, the emotions of the scene than the actual plot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which I always I always really vibe with. That's kind of what I look for in a movie. Um, I don't care as much about, like, story and writing and does this follow a three-act narrative and whatever. I just want to... I just... As long as the emotions of the scene are believable, then that's what I'm after. And strangely enough, as completely bizarre as his acting is in this movie, I did buy the emotions. I mean, this is clearly a man who is having an intense mental breakdown. And, um, I, yeah. And even though, like, his character's a pretty awful person, I did really vibe with, um, like, what he was feeling and the emotions he was conveying in each scene. Mm-hmm. I think I, when we were watching it, I made the comparison to uh, to Faye Dunaway's performance as Joan Crawford in Mommy Dearest, which is a similar a performance that's been similarly memed uh, for how melodramatic it is. And like I haven't seen Mommy Dearest all the way through, um, so I can't tell you if like the the people who defend that movie are right or wrong. But when you look at the YouTube the the movie clips uh, YouTube video for the No More Wire Hangers scene, even which is like famously the melodramatic moment of that film Mm -hmm. the people who say it's believable in the comments are people who had an abusive parent and it almost makes me you know because this is not like the way nick cage is acting in this movie is not the way they teach you it's not the way that any school will teach you how to act or direct an actor (laughs) to evoke to evoke just like deep discomfort in your audience at the same time though is that a bad thing? I feel like we always over, we we pass over melodrama so quickly because it's often associated with themes of like romance and emotional breakdowns and the weepy films of yesteryear and I think that's kind of a shame because it lets us miss out on these very iconic performances that yes are very heightened but I do think there there has to be a certain truth to it. Yeah, and though this movie's acted at least from Cage pretty melodramatically, I it would be, I'd, I'd be mistaken to call the movie a melodrama on the whole. And I think the the fact that a character who talks like he's out of time and place in a very contemporary 1980s New York, even the parts that are meant to seem classy and old school, are very much part of that late 80s sophistication of uh, the sorts of things that were playing on the radio at the time. There's some very nice uh, sort of late period high energy playing at various points. Um the music itself is both, you know, Bauhaus level gothic, but also like has a lot of very, very, very aggressive slap bass. <laughs> it, I think that's the perfect. I love. It's the perfect meld of the the Bram Stoker Dracula era and the nineteen eighties business fuckery. It really yeah. is. Which, like, and like people tend to people tend to talk about the eighties like it's a thing that we, in hindsight, satirize, um, and and. I mean, no one in the UK talks like that because there's plenty of work in the UK that satirized Thatcher-era Britain word beat for beat. But I think, like, even in the United States, 
there were still like there was still an understanding from people working in that decade, especially people in movies who had just seen an extremely bohemian decade pass them by that what was happening in the world in the 80s, what was happening in, you know, cultural powerhouses of the U.S. in the 80s was, if nothing else, really weird. I mean, look at and has it like, and for God's sakes. Oh, God, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, talking about sort of feelings of foreignness leading to, uh, you know, leading to compelling satire. I mean, Verhoeven, famously a Dutch director. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we had that conversation a little earlier before we started watching the movie that, you know, a kind of estrangement from yourself is necessary to make really compelling work sometimes. And uh, mm-hmm. I think like, you know, one thing I highly doubt is that Nick Cage is like this in person. <laughs> oh, he looks like the most chillest man ever. I saw a picture of him in like a pink leather jacket with studs on it, hanging out with Kesha. Yes, the pink Superman jacket. And then Kesha like wrote a song about how like she's very thirsty for this very confident man, and I cannot stand her enough. Um. <laughs> Seriously, if y'all are listening, please listen to the Kesha Nicholas Cage song. It she wrote it in quarantine when she was like slowly going insane with the rest of us, and I it it's not album worthy, but I fucking it very much captures my feelings on the man as well. Mood. Yeah. I'll always have respect for Kesha after her newest album had a like shout out to the hypnosis album covers of the 1970s i'm like okay if you know that much about the history of popular music i i'll ride with that female (laughs) pop stars of this decade are so smart and so underrated and i will die for them anyway we're talking about this movie yeah pop culture is not a terrible segue but yeah i'd call this a pop i'd call this a poptimist movie yeah i think i think that's accurate but yeah, I th- I don't okay. even know where to begin or end. Here are some themes I picked up on. There's this idea of singles hookup culture being very like crushing on this idea of love and how the idea of love can kind of suck you dry too. Um and then there's also this corporate side of that also sucking you dry cuz he is a vampire. He's sucking the life out of his employee and Mm-hmm. Yeah, so those are the those mm. are the major themes that I picked up on. I'm sure there are more, but those are the two ones of like, you know, sex and love and hookup culture and uh corporate power dominance play. Stuff like that. That those are the two things I picked mm-hmm. up on. Yeah, and you grokked it almost immediately, which I was very impressed yeah. by. <laughs> that was Yeah. That was like the quickest ascertaining a weird movie I've 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 almost ever heard, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's about, uh, what, 15, 30 minutes in? <laughs> I do want to give a quick shout out to, so this is one of the few vampire movies where um, there aren't necessarily supernatural elements. And I mean, that can be debated, but like I, in my opinion, he is not a vampire. <laughs> um, at least like not like the Dracula kind of vampire. He's not I mean, literally. He is a, 
Yeah, he is a person who does, at certain points in the movie, bite people and drink their blood. So, in that sense, yeah, he's a vampire. Yeah, but he does it with with plastic-like kitty things you would get from Chuck E. Cheese. Holy shit, that fucking sequence. I would also... Oh my gosh. I, I think this is kind of tricky, but I do think it warrants addressing... Most of the women in this movie are women of color. Like, um, I believe uh, Alva, is that her name? Alva is Hispanic. Mm -hmm. And um, the girl he sleeps with in the beginning, I'm trying to remember her name. I'm not sure they actually gave a name, but I don't. It's like Jackie, I think, isn't it? Because he has a phone call with her where he like says, "Take me back." But there is this this element of them being highly sexualized and like brutalized and i don't know how conscious it is of that fact but it is like a very common trope in media and this one does follow that so if you're not that that i think that deserves its own trigger warning for specificity as well because the that it's just tough to watch especially nowadays but yeah yeah especially the way he treated alva that was hard for me to watch mm-hmm. um and like you said, that actress just sells it. Just the pain on her face. Like, it was heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I do think, to give the movie credit, I think, I-, I was even saying this while we were watching it, I prefer something like this to American Psycho because I think American Psycho, you can get very lost in the cool veneer and the the polish and the the trying to sell the movie to you so you can engage with it. This movie isn't really worried about that polish. It's just kind of focusing in on the themes. Like, there is nothing really desirable about Nicolas Cage's character. He's a mess. He is a... He is a brute. He's a menace. He's a menace. His haircut is fucking stupid. And you realize <laughs> yeah, why everyone... Yeah, he looks like a goddamn idiot. Yeah, and you realize why everyone in this film just wants to get the fuck away from him, whereas, like, I, I don't even remember the American Psycho's name, Patrick Bateman. Like, you, he's so cool, and he's handsome, and he, like, does all these push-ups, and oh my god, he's so cool. And there's not any focus on the lives of the people he impacts in that movie. It's all about his story, whereas in this movie... You even the woman he like projects the image of the vampire onto you get to see again and go yeah this guy's nuts I have nothing to do with his spiral this is all him and I just I mm-hmm. respect a movie that takes the time to acknowledge the people that the monster is hurting rather than just the monster himself because I think that can lend its way to glorifying his actions and his persona which I think is very damaging especially in film criticism circles yeah yeah the uh yeah it helps that like the people that 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 uh that cage hurts in this movie are not fellow corporate rat fuckers like most of the people who get hurt in american psycho though not nearly all of them Mm -hmm. uh and yeah just the it is actually an example i think of like a movie being if this movie were more cleanly directed like the fact that you start this movie, like I honestly think its position in meme culture is to the movie's is to the movie's benefit now, because you start the movie completely disarmed. Like you you go in expecting to laugh at it, and like you know I, I threw some riffs at this thing. I mean I'm you know I, I I do that from time to time, and this movie was really easy to peanut gallery in those first few minutes because it almost it's almost like it's 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 asking you to do that. You know like stop trying to hit me and hit me, make fun of me. And then a few minutes in, 
you know, by about half an hour in, I would say the fact that you started the movie with that expectation makes everything that happens after that a lot more disarming, mm-hmm. which I guess says a lot about the power of horror movies in general, things that are presented as having some kind of marquee value as being a little bit more able to, uh, cause you can steal yourself for a more traditionally fucked up horror movie. You can't steal yourself for this. What we're telling you right now probably won't prepare you for what this movie feels like to watch. Yeah. The thing that I also Mm -hmm. appreciate about this kind of horror is it's not sudden. It's a grind. Like, everything that happens in this movie happens for a while. Like, Alva is tortured for a while. Nicolas Cage runs around begging people to stake him for a while before he actually gets mm-hmm. staked. He gets sucked dry by this vampire nightly for a while. He has these delusions for a while. They, like, keep... It, but it doesn't feel, like, repetitive or, like, oh, why are we still harping on this? This is poor pacing. It's just, like, no, this is how it feels when something is slowly happening to you. Like, when you're slowly becoming disillusioned with the life you're living, you're slowly realizing that I'm the butt of the joke. It's just, it's perfectly paced, in my opinion, even though it is on the longer side, but I think that is to its benefit. Yeah. Yeah. And also, Nicolas Cage, I thought his meme antics were going to get boring. They never did. Like, there's no, like, oh, yeah, go ahead. Like, it's still actually funny to watch him shout the alphabet in what must be the most fucked up episode of Sesame Street I have ever seen. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All of his... And I'm including the one where, Snuffy, where Snuffleupagus' parents get divorced. Even the 20th anniversary special where they have grump towers. Okay, maybe not that one, but let's keep going. <laughs> so just like, I want to give hats off again to the actress who plays his therapist. Because, I mean, my goodness, like... Some of his most unhinged scenes. And she just, like, takes it. And, um... Yeah, her her line reads... Like, the, um... The balance of being kind of incredulous, but also, like, trying to remain professional mm-hmm. is just incredible. So, like, like even at the beginning of the film, um, after, so during one of his one-night stands, a bat had flown into his bedroom and he had to get it out. So he's talking to his therapist about this and he's like, yeah, you know, I was in bed with this woman and then a bat flew into the room. And the therapist's like, a bat? And he's like, yeah, and it, it made me really aroused. And she's like... The bat made you aroused. It's like, but, yeah, like, I got really horny because the bat flew in. Yeah, but like the way, like, I'm not going to do it justice. Just the way she responds to all of this with that, you know, that acceptance that you would expect from a, a professional. But like, also, how do I handle what this man is telling me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. She does a lot of acting with her eyes that is really, really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, like, the the freaking alphabet scene where he's um, just venting to her about how his employees can't find the file that he's looking for. And he's like, well, how hard is it to do? And, um, and you know, the therapist's like, well, sometimes people put files in the wrong place. And 
he just starts he's like, screaming. Who? who did it? Yeah, who did it? And she's like, well, I can't possibly know. And he's like, well, why not? Isn't that your job? You're a psychiatrist. Aren't you supposed to know? And like, just... That's how not how you... that works. Yeah. The other... Just how do you respond to that? And what was it? The, the other scene is when Alva comes in and she's like, why do I have to keep doing this? I'm not staying late to find a file. And he, there's this slow, I can't tell if they're zooming in on his face or if it's just a close-up and his eyes just get wider and make it feel like he's coming closer. Um, But there was a scene where mm-hmm. I think uh, he has said on record that it's the meme scene that everybody knows that the, that image is burned into but our collective conscience. He wanted mm-hmm. to open his eyes as wide as he could throughout the duration of that monologue. And it's terrifying. That man is capable of murder. Oh. Yeah. God, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like we've we've seen all these moments out of context and they're just funny, but like when you watch it in context, it is actually really scary and yeah. um uh really thought-provoking. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other things that happen. Also, the the amount of um, uh, uh, just I don't uh, no, I don't know if this is good to go into, but just like the scene, and tell me if this is going too far. Like the scene where he puts the gun in his mouth and then starts verbally saying "boo hoo," but like yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's also really sad. But then also immediately yeah. after he does the most like horrible thing. A person, it's so interesting that these events, like, there's, we get so many payoffs so quickly. So, Alva finds the file, and she brings it to him, but then he goes, it's too late, and we don't know why. I think he just, he just wants someone to torture, and no matter what, he, she can't win. Which, you know, that's corporate America for you. Um, and mm. then he, like, fi- she has a fake gun. Well, she has a gun with blanks. And then he takes it, and he's like, I want you to shoot me. Or I'll fire you, which that's gotta be. It's yeah, all. shoot me or I'll fire you is such a a phrase. It's so <laughs> fascinating though, because like I know that like you can't read too much into anything, but that's got that's just got that that hit me. You know, it's like goddamn. Right. Like there are a couple of moments. I think my exact words at one point later on. Plenty of moments in this movie where it's like, man, I wish I was a person who came up with that because that person probably shouldn't have to work. Anymore. Oh, you mean the couch coffin? <laughs> like a bit later, the yeah, bit, the, the bit the at the cou- very end, the couch coffin, yeah. Towards the very end, when he decides that he's a vampire, um, I mean, I guess he's, I guess I don't know if decides factors much into anything he does, but he gets some like really cheesy vampire teeth that look like they're from like one of those sixties like. Uh, one of those sixties comic books where you'd mail out for the stuff and he just walks around wearing the teeth. And then he goes back to his room where he sort of climbs underneath his like dark black, his like jet black couch. Like it's a coffin because the coffin, because the couch had been upturned previously when he lost his shit. And just the minute you see that, I'm like, come on, that is, that is, the urban vampire image. It is so good. Mm-hmm. So really and if you like, oh, if you God. like, if you like nothing else about this movie, I think you pretty much have to like that part. It's so good. It really is. Yeah. Well, the whole sequence leading up to that too, when he's having this hallucination about um, a therapy session, and in his hallucination, his he just 
tells his therapist, you know, you can't help me. The only thing I need is love in my life. And I don't have any love in my life. And um, she's like, well, you should meet my other patient because she's just like you. And she introduces these two. They hit it off and like, it's immediately like love at first sight. Um, But then within like, like 10 the, by the time yeah within like 10 minutes he's already arguing with this fake person who he's hallucinated and like even his imaginary relationships he can't he can't maintain mm-hmm. hmm. those scenes mm-hmm. themselves intercut with what's really happening on the street which is that a guy with hair that looks like a knockoff conrad Veidt, uh covered in blood and wearing a suit that doesn't quite fit him the way a suit is supposed to just mumbling all of these things to himself which throughout the movie we throughout the movie it's established that he's hallucinating almost all of this um like he 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 brings the vampire the vampire woman coffee early on and of course there's no one else in the bed which i appreciate so much i'm so fucking sick of these like ooh reveal i'm like i don't want to be surprised anymore i want to be interested I want to be mm-hmm. intrigued. I want to be strung along for the ride. I don't want no more mystery mm. boxes. I'm done with it. I just like the mm-hmm. slow burn. Yeah, because yeah, trying to, like, once you've been provoked that first time by something shocking, can it re-provoke you? But if it, if it, if it gets you thinking, then it has legs outside the movie. I mean, we've already been talking for nearly half the duration of the movie about the movie. But yeah, like, you know, if this were if this were just a roller coaster ride, then we could probably make something kind of funny out of it, but I don't think we would have anything like this. I think it was a good eye on both you and uh both you Kyla and Marty that uh that after seeing this you knew that it was a really really good fit for the podcast and that you would actually like build to it uh mm-hmm. through through the month because that uh yeah, I think this is the kind of thing you want to talk about on a podcast that's, you know, you know, on an egghead film podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't say we're always egghead because we did talk about Willy's Wonderland last weekend. Yeah, which, no. Which yeah. is a very silly movie. Which I'm sure it was great, but I'm really glad that I got to watch this one as well. And I'm going to watch Willy's Wonderland because I love Nicolas Cage and I want to see what he's going to do. Because, like, the way you described his acting choice and why he took that role, that's inspiring to me. Besides just someone taking it for mm-hmm. the money, it's just like, I just wanted a challenge. Although, granted, um, Margot Robbie did say the same thing about her role in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I digress. That might be <laughs> for different reasons. So for... Each of you, um, what is your favorite piece of Nicolas Cage acting from this film? Um, from this film? Yes. Um, hmm. I think mine is the scene where, like, he's just, like, yelling at Alva for, like, a good chunk of time, like quite literally the scene where you don't say comes from. Um, I, I just feel like, like as his eyes get whiter and like, he, he just like, he just like keeps going with like how deranged he is being. And then like, it comes to a point where like, and then she like runs out of the room and then he's like, don't you want to use your gun? And like his voice breaks like very good. 
Very good. I love that. <laughs> uh, what about y'all? For me, I I kind of have two two moments that kind of I think mirror Marty's because there's one that's like I'm like that is genuinely like pulling at my emotions, and the other one I'm like, oh my god, I'm just enthralled by whatever the hell this man is doing. One is the sequence where he's running around the street with a stake, asking people to stake him, specifically when he's in front of the church, like, trying to explain to, I think they're Italian? Uh, Italian Catholics, Mm -hmm. like, why he's a vampire. (laughs) And then the other one is his death scene at the end of the movie, because there's just this moment of, like, you just see him in all his pathetic glory, and it's, Mm -hmm. it's haunting in a way. So yeah, those are my two favorite moments. Mm. I think uh, mine is connected to that sequence, and it's the moment where it's the intercut between him sort of hallucinating a final talk with his therapist, um, still holding the stick that he's presenting to people as a stake. By the way, I think I said I think I said it looks like he's holding it like a cavalry saber almost. <laughs> very, very interesting, very interesting moment there that he took that with him into his. Uh, into his hallucination (laughs) but um that sort of collection of contrivances you know as paragon of virtue this guy um uh lo that's his last name Mm -hmm. uh spelled in a vaguely german way which makes me think there's i mean there's plenty of like german silent film references going on here as well i think he has a photograph of kafka of all things (laughs) in the back of his office but i digress um intercut with bloody brutalized um uh just absolute festering human garbage (laughs) talking to himself while covered in blood in a register that he doesn't use anywhere else in this movie and that i don't think i've heard very many human beings use and something about that like at that point i think i was legitimately you know i i had been I had been convinced for a time leading up to that, but at that point I knew that I couldn't be unconvinced mm-hmm. that this movie has something going on under the hood. Um, yeah. And then I think, like I've said, it's camp, it's camp appeal amplifies that rather than makes you forget about it. Yeah. What about you, Kai? Oh, so for me, I think like, any of the scenes with his therapist. I don't know if I could choose, like, just one. Because I guess, like, it kind of helps you see how he views his life. Um, So it gives a good introspection to his character. And also hearing him scream the entire alphabet (laughs) is really funny. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess, like, I love the way that he and that actress play off of each other. I just think it's, like... I don't know. It's just a, such a great dynamic. I agree. Yeah. Damn, this movie was way, way better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Like, you you don't expect that. Oftentimes you don't expect that from a Nick Cage film, but I just think that we're conditioned to think that way based on his career choices as of late. But, like... He puts his heart into a lot a lot of the stuff that he does and like just like the way that he presents himself especially in this film is just really really brilliant. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also, um, I love this, like, this is a little bit strain from the topic, but I love the whole urban vampire kind of aesthetic. Yes. Because mm-hmm. um, that's also not something we see super often. Yeah. What was it? A lot of times vampire stories are, you know, like very antiquated and uh, period dramas. And um, I mean, obviously that's still great. But I I don't know. I love seeing it in a more modern setting. Fright Night. Mm-hmm. Um, What was it? Vampires Attack the Bronx is like a movie on Netflix that is so much better than I thought it was going to be. Oh, Vampires vs. the it. Bronx is amazing. That was a great movie. That's so great. Yeah, um, um, there's a really great film on Shudder called The Transfiguration. That, oh, yeah! That's another example of, like, a vampire movie that's not necessarily supernatural. It's more of, like, a, again, like a, just a person who drinks blood. That was a really interesting one, too. So is there any um, last kind of thoughts you guys want to bring up? Um... So like they so we they would cut in for like you know stuff for Alva and like her life and like they kept showing her brother and her brother is like really hot <laughs> <laughs> Um I just like I just needed to to put that out there that her like the guy that they got to play her brother is super hot and I could not like take my eyes off of him when he was on screen. I was like, well, damn. His performance is also great. I mean, he only has yeah. a few scenes, but like... I mean, he kills the He, main like, character. murders yeah. Nick Cage, though. Yeah, but like, yeah, and I... But we root for him, I, too. He's around long enough for us to root for. He's not just some stranger. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, like, very obviously, he cares about his sister and, like... Yeah, that scene where he just hugs her when she's explaining what happened and... Yeah. Like, that's really touching. Um, You can tell they obviously care a lot about each other and... Yeah, I really liked that performance. Yeah. He did a good job, too. I don't think there's a single bad performance in this movie. I honestly think everyone gave a thousand and ten percent and is better than Mm -hmm. a lot of Oscar bait I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it goes back to it not being made before, you know. It's like Bowie said, never play for the gallery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sadly, like, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the prestige kind of stuff is uh, marketing, really. I mean, people think of, like, the Oscars as, and, like, award show movies in general as art films, but, like, it's it's still a product just as much as any superhero movie. Um, Because mm-hmm. a lot of those movies are made with the intention of wanting to win awards, and they're released at the right time of year, and they, you know, have all these certain elements, and, like, it's... It's... A lot of it is marketing. Um mm-hmm. So I think for this movie, you know, it's like they they know, like, who are you going to market this to? You know, this this is an oddball movie and it just exists as it is. And I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you, market you know, it to, you, oh, it's you one of those things. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. 
You market it to people who have a podcast about Nick Cage horror movies, which is that hilarious is because we didn't pay for this movie, but I digress. Well, you don't have to be redacted. We watched it on yeah. Pluto TV, which was ad supported. That is true. And actually, um, it, well, this movie was on Shudder when Marty and I originally saw it. So, yeah. And then they took it off, and I got sad. I do want to buy Pluto it TV now, with like, like I do want this. I want to yeah. own this movie. Which is interesting too, because one last thing I kind of want to bring up: there wasn't a lot of like the kind of cinematography we think about when we think about like artistic cinema. Like there weren't any frames that I thought were arranged in a really like in specific or artistic way at least not in the way where it was like making itself known um i'm sure there was but like it was mostly just about the material and how nick cage was moving Mm -hmm. about the frame and like the way props were placed as opposed to like yeah you know shot ratio and stuff like that yeah this was very much not a visual film this was very much a performance and writing driven film. And I think right. that implies like a journeyman level of craft from the cinematographer. But I think, I think it's, it's cause there's a lot of like the, uh, the lighting, for example, which is a job that generally falls to the DP though. Sometimes they pawn that off on the gaffer, um, was often very evocative. There's almost some like Caravaggio light when he uh, goes into the the phone booth to contact his therapist for one last time. Um, so I think like the actual choice of composition was to some extent deliberate because a lot of those things that we like in art house films are ways, and we like in films in general, are ways that the film kind of presents presents its agenda to you, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think the way this movie does it. Um, in a way that doesn't necessarily attract that kind of, you know, nuts and bolts cinematographical discussion is I think another thing that ultimately, I think it's another thing that ultimately plays to the movie's strengths in that we're watching a person experience his own often very, very disturbing subjectivity throughout. And anything that sort of tells us in the actual production itself, this is how you're meant to feel about this. Like we've, we've sort of, you know, we've sort of discussed cage as like a completely irredeemable heel here. You know, you listening to this at home might watch the movie and probably pretty reasonably see him as a guy who by virtue of a mental illness that he nor that neither he nor anyone else in his life understands isn't strictly making any actual decisions. I mean, I suggested that earlier and I don't know, I don't know what I think about it, but like you could very reasonably see this movie as a lot more tragic than 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 we've than we've discussed it, and I think that would be reasonably fair and with more with more of the kinds of things that the DP and me likes to talk about. Frankly, uh, I think a lot of the the power of that subjectivity would be reduced, even though there are definitely ways in which through just the weighting of different characters in the edit you know, how much time we spend looking at Nicolas Cage's freaky-ass face. <laughs> um, His very David Schwimmer-esque face in this one. Yep. Um, we're definitely, I don't think, we're definitely meant to be, we're definitely meant to feel some sort of way and not positive. 
about the guy. Um, but you're right. There are these moments that are just tragic. So I think you're right in that yeah. regard. Like, he is horrible. Mm-hmm. Like, he, is, he does some horrible, irredeemable things. But I think the thing that makes this performance feel right is that there are these moments of pity and humanity. Like, no one is just all monster, or at least not if you're writing a character. Not if you're writing them well. Mm-hmm. Who on earth would do what he does in this movie deliberately yeah. is the thing I keep thinking about. He is yeah. simultaneously he... awful and pathetic. And it's yeah. it's like very well balanced. And like, I very much don't, I don't feel sympathy for him, but at the same time, it's like, holy shit, dude, like, really, he he's just, like, giving it his all in, like, some of the m- most, like, I don't know, pathetic little, you know, things that he does. Which, honestly, like, oh, sorry, go ahead, finish your thought. Oh, I was gonna say the, the one part where he's, like, like... He's, like, trying to get someone to, like, tell someone else that he's in a meeting, and he's like, I'm in a meeting! (laughs) Like, and then, like, his breakdown in the bathroom, and then the guy yelling at him in the stall. (laughs) (laughs) Like, just the little, the little things like that are, like, he's very obviously, like, going through some shit, but, like, it's... Like, to the detriment of, like, the people that he's, you know, very obviously supposed to be, like, above and, like, you know, the people that work for him. And I think that's kind of where the surrealist absurdity of it all comes in, because those two things coexist, even though it feels like they shouldn't. Uh Like, he's a horrible person. You also kind of feel pity for him sometimes. He's also kind of hilarious. And it's all these things are mished together in this very surreal world. And that is such a hard thing to capture. And they did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It it really is. In a big way, it, it quintessentially is a vampire movie, even if there aren't any actual vampires in it, because... That sort of range of tragicomic relatability that we're supposed to have with this guy is exactly how I think you're supposed to feel for Dracula and most adaptations of that character, particularly mm-hmm. the, the 30s one. And I mean, there are uh, there are moments where he seems genuinely distressed about like all the awful ways he's acted. Um, and again, like it could be it's hard, so hard to tell because he's constantly flip flopping, um, you know, one moment he's pitiable and the next moment he's being horrible again but like i do kind of buy that he does genuinely have moments where he feels bad about the way he's treating people um which you know obviously like doesn't make it right but i just think that's another interesting layer Mm -hmm. yeah i agree i agree this film is interesting yeah so um I think that we can all safely say we would definitely give this one a recommendation. Yeah. Great in all the ways. Well, not all the ways. Yeah. There are, there are, you know, the, every film's got its troubling aspects. But yeah, I'd recommend it. Yeah. 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 
So, Aaron, do you have anything that you would like to promote? Uh, someday I'm going to get around to doing another episode of Kill All Squares. <laughs> but I, I don't have an ETA on that. I understand, but I did super enjoy being on the first episode with you. Um, for any of our listeners who have not checked that out yet, it's on YouTube. Um, we talked about this really awesome Japanese, like, hitman kind of movie. What would you, like, would you classify it as, like, a Yakuza movie, or how would you classify that? Well, of the Yakuza, of the Yakuza movie mold from, like, before Bunta Sugawara came on the scene, like, the pre-Battles of Honor Humanity style chivalrous Yakuza film mixed with a lot of 1960s Japanese new wave surrealism, uh, branded to kill by, uh, the great Seijin Suzuki. Um, so if any of you are interested in deep cut weeb shit, I guess, then uh, watch that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you want to hear more from Netflix and Kill, you can follow us on Twitter at Netflix underscore in underscore kill. We also have a Patreon where your support is much appreciated. All of the money from our Patreon helps us keep our podcast running. And that's about it for now. Um, We'll be back to covering our normal schlocky Netflix films soon. But I super enjoyed getting to talk about these Nicolas Cage films. Um, I think it was really interesting, again, to see like such a different range of projects he's done. Yeah. So thank you guys for going on that journey. I loved it. Thank you for suggesting this. This was a great idea. I love themes. Me too, honestly. (laughs) We love themes. We do. Our theme for prom is Nicholas Cage. (laughs) (laughs) Oh (laughs) Oh my gosh. God, remember when that was like Uh, a a thing where people would post Nicholas Cage faces everywhere? I missed that. Let's do that Mm -hmm. again. Our our awareness theme fair is awareness. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right. Well, thank you once again. And as always, a big thank you to our listeners. Uh, go enjoy some Nick Cage. Whichever mm-hmm. movie you choose, um, they've all got something of value. So I recommend the, the if you don't watch any of... The four that we covered, I would recommend The Sorcerer's Apprentice just because it's oh, of course. a movie. I recommend Spy- Into the <laughs> it's Spider-Verse. It's very cheesy magic shit. <laughs> <sighs> well, thank you once again, and may your nightmares be plentiful. May your Nick Cages be plentiful. Mm-hmm.